0: As you move forward, you come across a goblin.
1: Oh, okay, that should be easy.
0: And an owlbear.
1: Wait, wait, what?
0: And some skeletons and a dragon.
1: Wait, aren't we in a cellar?
0: In this episode of Becoming DM, we're talking about how to interweave monsters and treasures into your campaign.
1: Hey guys, it's Felicia.
0: And this is John.
1: And uh, this episode, we are talking about incorporating monsters and treasures into your campaign. And uh, I think for me, when I think about how to best do this for my players, uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is player level.
0: Right, and when you take player level into account, and and more specifically the the party level, uh, D&D, when they represent monsters as well as Pathfinder, they have this thing called challenge rating. Mm -hmm. um, Or CR. So the CR is basically a numerical value that you're s- supposed to match against your against your player party level, and be able to come up with a challenge that is equal to or more challenging than than what their players can do to have something that uh, that doesn't kill them,
1: so to speak. <laughs> Assuming that's what you want.
0: Yeah. Uh, but, but when we talk about the, the CR, there's, there's definitely some things that you have to take into account. Yes. Um, so things like your, your party size. Uh, I think you've experienced this quite a bit. Hmm. If you don't have a party size of maybe three to five people, that CR can really, um, really not be accurate if you've got more or less than that you can really be way off base
1: yeah I think I've honestly most of the campaigns that I run tend to be on the larger side um, six to seven people uh, and very varied in, in in skill levels as well just because again I have people that come in and out of my group so it tends to stay the same number but always different skill levels
0: yeah and so for, for those at home who may not be as familiar with the challenge rating, before we get too far along, I wanna just really briefly talk about how it works. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm gonna be talking from, from the Pathfinder because those are the rules that I'm most familiar with. But as I understand it, D&D is pretty similar. Mm-hmm. Um, so what you do is you take the average level of your party. So if you've got all level one people, your average level is one. Yeah. And then uh, you take a challenge rating and if you want it to be a, a fairly even battle, then you take a challenge rating of monsters that equals one. So mm-hmm. maybe you have some skeletons that are worth one third. You could do three skeletons and, and be pretty OK there. Yeah. Uh, now, if you want more challenging things, then you add to that challenge rating and build your encounter around that. Um, but we were still talking about, uh, sorry for the little breakout there, but mm-hmm. we were still talking about the the assumptions of, C- of CR. Um, one of the things that that I'm pretty sure is is in there is that they assume that you're doing it on point by, yeah. And and we were talking about this beforehand about why that might be different than your traditional rolling. You want to run through that real quick?
1: Well, you know, when you're first building characters and deciding, you know, what what your abilities are going to be in the different points or the different, I guess, yeah, points that you're going to assign, you always have the option of you can just have a set number of points and you distribute them amongst your abilities or you roll for it. And depending on those is sort of how your campaign goes from there. I like to build my characters based off of rolling. It's just my preference. It's something thrilling.
0: have a little bit of yeah. uh, unknown in there as you build <laughs> yeah, your character. Yeah,
1: it's just, it's, just, it's kind of like life. You know, you get what you're dealt and you don't always have the choice of, of picking and choosing the ideal um, numbers. So for me, I kind of like that. Um, and it sort of makes I think encounters overall in the campaign just that much more um, engaging and that much more interesting because I'm not always working with something that's a perfect scenario.
0: Right, and um, obviously the uh, the of the two, um, the way that CR is based, as I understand it, is based off of doing that point buy. Normally, so yes. As you roll dice, uh, you could potentially have much higher stats than you would with point buy. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so that's going to affect the the difficulty of your challenge and and where you need to have that at. Um, and then,
1: relatedly, the experience points that you get from those encounters, which of course impact your leveling up.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so uh, now we talked a little bit about the challenge rating. Let's kind of delve into um, once you once you understand how to build those encounters with your challenge ratings. How do we make those encounters be uh, more more challenging for our our players Mm -hmm. so that they're not just walking through things and going, man, I'm just, I'm bored. All we do is just slaughter people and and there's no, there's no cliffhanger moment, so to speak. Um, And one of the things that I really like to do in this vein is You've got you've got your challenge rating or, or whatever you've determined is the appropriate challenge rating based upon our, our previous factors. Uh, my, my preference is rather than build one big monster or one big NPC that they're going to go against, is to have multiples. So uh, rather than have one or two, you could have four, or five, six lower level monsters, and then we've got the action economy where you have all your initiative line up, and you have everybody gets a certain amount of actions per round, and you don't have four people wiping out your one or <laughs> two enemies because they all get attacks before that, before that guy yeah. does just by, by initiative sake. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I think the thing also to keep in mind there, like going back to party size too, you know, if, if you're under that very unique situation where you have an abnormally large party, there's, you know, some tweaks that you have to make to that, you know, maybe in that particular case, having one higher level enemy is more conducive to the campaign because you have such a large party size. But under normal circumstances, a three to five party, um, three to five member party. Yeah, absolutely. Like those lower level, um, enemies, it makes sense to have that.
0: Well, and, and if you have a a larger party and you're, let's say, increasing the, 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 challenge rating of a of an encounter by one as mm-hmm. a result you could have that increase be your your beefier monster and yep. then have the smaller monsters fill in those those gaps for the regular yeah. challenge rating um
1: i think it's definitely just something that you keep in mind you know is this the amount of people and try to like tailor those encounters to that
0: mm-hmm uh, the next kind of thing to make things more challenging is is using enemy tactics and mm-hmm. have you have you had any enemies that, that you've uh, really dealt with where you've uh, really used tactics and made players kind of scratch their head with how to deal with the situation
1: I mean I'm not overly clever uh, you know when it comes to my uh, my enemy tactics I or maybe I just haven't gotten as much experience in doing that but you know I we have a pretty well-rounded group, you know, that is combined of squishy and non-squishy characters. So, you know, we have our very physically strong meat shield characters, our dwarf warriors, but we've also got our, um, you know, physically weaker, but can shoot from a distance spells kind of, you know, sorcerers and wizards and whatnot. So, um, if I, if I'm, if I were to create a campaign tailoring to that, um, cause again, I've only done the pre-done stories and I haven't, Quite gone into creating my own campaigns. I would probably take into consideration exactly what kind of players they have. If I know I have a group that's mostly spellcasters, but that aren't of a race that gives them that strength inclination, I might try to go for like enemies or monsters that go for like physical attacks versus other spellcasters. And of course, depending on the situation and the locale, I might try to like have those enemies specific to that. Maybe I have like you know, evil plants that, you know, anchor everyone into place. And, you know, because they're not all that strong, it's harder for them to get out of it or spider webs that catch flying characters, things like that.
0: And one of the things, um, especially if you have more intelligent enemies Mm -hmm. is once they see how the NPCs are acting, um, they can do things like uh, identify, hey, that person is casting a spell, they're a spell caster. Mm-hmm. We need to take care of them first yeah. and target them. Um, a, they're more squishy and they can reduce mm-hmm. the numbers, but also because spell casters, if put in the right circumstances, can be pretty devastating oh, to, yeah, absolutely. To, to the enemies. You can get so,
1: lightning bolted like crazy. So if you
0: have an intelligent uh, enemy, um, mm-hmm. definitely think about how they would perceive the, this group that's coming to attack them and how they would react. Yeah. Um, But on the tactics front, one of the more, uh, popular, uh, things out there lately that I really found entertaining was, uh, I don't know if you've heard of, uh, Tucker, Tucker's kobolds. No. Uh, Basically it was this, uh, it was this adventure that was run by this guy named Tucker and this higher level, uh, party had to go into this kobold den. Mm -hmm. Uh, and kobolds are notoriously fairly low level, uh, Enemies one would think but he played them to the nines with how they did their tactics Which uh-huh. is you set traps you maybe engage a little bit and you run away You circle back in behind people and uh-huh. so this high-level party was just really sweating whether they were gonna get out of this this uh, den of kobolds just because of all the the Traps and tricks and things that were deployed there uh-huh. um, so I, I think in a lot of the in a lot of the monster manual type uh, books where they have descriptions mm-hmm. of your monsters they'll also provide some guidance on tactics and, and what they sort of do uh, so really try to uh, advice to the listeners really try to leverage that um, yeah. to make your encounters even though these are monsters that, Maybe the party would normally walk through in just a toe-to-toe mm-hmm. battle. Maybe that—that's that's not what they get into. Is, is maybe they get into this fight and flee kind of thing?
1: That's yeah. I think that's a really important thing to keep in mind. I, I actually, now that you say something, it kind of jogs my memory. When you talk about really maximizing, you know, your your enemies to make it an engaging encounter for your players, um, you know, there's some characters that you know, are resistant to certain things, you know, maybe poisonous gas doesn't work, but a lightning bolt does, or maybe they're resistant to fire, but not so much to ice, or um, I think was it the undead, where it's like, you know, you actually can do more damage with healing than you can with a regular blow. And those kinds of things, you know, especially if you vary it up, you know, it can definitely like keep your players on their toes and be like, hey, we can't just, you know, blow them up like normal. There is like strategies that we would have to use to be able to like successfully, Overcome these enemies. Yep. Smart.
0: Um, so another uh, another challenging thing I like to do is is what I what I like to call latecomers. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the group of enemies that your your party sees at the beginning of the of the encounter may not be the group that they're encountering at the end. Mm-hmm. So whether because um, you've got some hidden or some that hear the noise and come find to find out what's going on. Yeah. Uh, what we were talking about before we started recording, I did a recent, uh, re- recent game where the players came into a room and they see these three skeletons attacking this guy and so mm-hmm. they rush in to help, help the guy. And there's all, there's another three skeletal archers up on a shelf that they couldn't see because it was above the doorway. Mm-hmm. So suddenly the, 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 the tactics that the players have to engage in is very different than what they thought it was gonna be.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think along those similar lines, when I was doing another campaign, or not, I was playing uh, another DM's campaign and his little tactic that kind of threw us off was we were fighting this horde of undead and we thought we had killed one and then he reanimated it. And then he reanimated (laughs) it again. And it took us three times before we could kill each undead. Um, just because it had that reanimation effect. And that was something where it was like, you know, we thought it was easy, undead, just not, you know, sliding up. yeah, knock their head out there fine. no, nope, no. Nope. Um, not even, not even close. So that was definitely something that was like, ah, you know, totally caught us by surprise, yeah, yeah
0: if you hadn't guessed it yet, we're sponsored by Dark Wind again this week. Their contribution helps us cover some of the costs of producing and hosting this show, so it'd be great if you can show them some love. To try out their massive online text-based multiplayer game, go to play.darkwind.org and create your character for free. While you're showing the love, take a moment to share Becoming DM out on your social media. Letting others know about the show is the best way to help it grow. One of the other things um, about making uh, these encounters more challenging to your players, if you're going to give out a magic item uh, as part of the encounter, mm-hmm. and we'll talk about treasure later, but if you're going to give out a magic item, uh, make sure that your, your enemies are, are using them. Mm-hmm. Don't just have them carrying it and, and die with this powerful item that could have turned the tide yeah. of battle. Um, have you had any, any monsters where you've really leveraged, a, a magic item that, that, uh...
1: We did, um, not, not one that I ran. Again, I was playing a campaign of another DM, and he had it that we were fighting, I forget exactly what, it was a, a magical enemy. Uh, some sort of spellcaster, I think it might have been a warlock or something along those lines. But, um, this individual we fought and we defeated, and he had this longbow, and it was a magical longbow. And in order to use it, you had to give it like a blood offering. So every time you used it, it took a certain amount of essentially like life essence from you in order for you to use it. But it gave a very, very strong um, attack when you did. And Mm so we ended up fighting and our druid got it and she was the one that would use it. Um, But when she, every time she did use it, she had to understand that it took like a hit point from her every time she used it. so that was a very interesting weapon that was sort of like, kind of double-edged sword, if you will, um, but that we would have not been able to have gotten unless we had defeated our enemy first. So it wasn't just lying around for us to discover in a treasure room, it was, hey, you know, it's this very special weapon that you happen to earn because you defeated someone else who was able to wield it. And only a certain type of character could wield it, so.
0: Yeah, I have a, I have a, uh, an encounter in a game that I was running, that they were fighting it was the it was the big bad evil guy battle where they had the this guy and his minions and one of his minions was a rogue Mm. and she was wearing this cloak that allowed her to step from shadow to shadow Mm. a couple of times a day and so she used that and they didn't know what was going on they just saw her step into the shadow and disappear and then the next round she was attacking them from behind um, again, making it more challenging, but yeah. they got this cool magic item uh, when they defeated them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was definitely being used to the advantage of the of the NPCs at the time.
1: Exactly. Yep.
0: Um, and the the other thing I would say is to think about pairings. So not yeah. not every monster that you put out in mm-hmm. the field has to be the exact same. Like if you are encountering encountering the undead, they don't all have to be skeletons. Yeah. You could have. Um, skeletons mixed in with zombies mixed in with ghouls or whatever um, because they all have their own strengths and weaknesses mm-hmm. um, and I think you were talking about something recently uh, where you had mixed those two together because of the different different damage types.
1: Uh- <laughs> um, I mean yeah well so you know, I mean, I have run a couple of, of campaigns where I, like you were saying, you had the, the skeletons versus the undead had those particular pairings, but I, I kind of took a, you know, page out of my other DM's book, the one that we did the campaign for, and in, in kind of implementing that reanimation um, feature when we had zombies um, and kind of pairing that with skeletons. The skeletons themselves didn't reanimate, but I did have the undead zombies. so. There was sort of that unique encounter. A lot of lower levels, monsters, but they had you know, very specific um, abilities that were very unique um, to their type. But I mean, we can definitely say that, you know, um, while those might work really well with each other, I'm pretty sure that the goblins, the owlbear and the dragon in the cellar <laughs> may not be the ideal trifecta to, <laughs> to put on your players.
0: Yeah. The, and there's, there's, I, th- I think there's also in those monster compendiums, um, allies and enemies listed, uh, yes. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So you can really quickly say, oh yeah, well, you wouldn't see a goblin hanging out with a bunch of skeletons necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, so.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, and you wouldn't, I mean, always have, you know, a dragon, um, you know, working with that owlbear, <laughs> you know, or s- spiders. You know, you could, definitely wouldn't have them working with them either.
0: Always the spiders.
1: Always with the spiders. <laughs>
0: um, so I think that really deals with a lot of the the designing challenging encounters with the monsters. Mm-hmm. But that that kind of brings us into the next topic of mm-hmm. treasure. Treasure, Ooh, gold, <laughs> and treasure. Uh, um,
1: Choose wisely.
0: And when you when you think about treasure for the party. You, We'll start off kind of like we did with the monsters. You have to think about the party level. Yeah. And what's appropriate for that party at that mm-hmm. level. And yeah. Now, I know Pathfinder, they have charts with, with anticipated gold per character, per level, and things like that. And I, I'm thinking that D&D probably does as well, um, but really you need to think of it in terms of your campaign and, and what is gonna yeah. what is gonna be acceptable and what's gonna break things.
1: <laughs> yeah. And that they're, gonna, they're not going to come across like a mountain of gold pieces when they. Well, I guess unless they came across like a dragon's lair, but. <laughs> um,
0: but if they did that, they're probably appropriate level that that's not going to really. Tip they're not going to take the entire the mountain with them. Yeah. Um,
1: um, no, I, I definitely agree. I and I have had the luxury of doing pre-made campaigns that set, you know exactly what the players will come across when they either explore a room or they defeat an enemy. And it'll have a little treasure section on it and says, hey, this is the treasure that can be found or that is, you know, from this encounter that your players can get. Um, and for me, I just try in my attempts to, to distribute it fairly. I will normally have my players roll and the players that roll higher are the ones that get the better parts of the treasure and <laughs> the players that roll low tend to usually get um, a crusty sock. So,
0: um, so and... and the reason that this is important is because if you've got a a group of say level two level three mm-hmm. players that have have hundreds of thousands of gold just take it way way too far one nice. in, they could pretty much buy any magic item that they wanted to or as weapon, long as available yeah. any any weapon mm-hmm. um, they could hire an army, so to speak, yeah, and so it really kind of when you start designing challenges for them it really kind of tips the scales massively in their favor because they can pretty much do whatever they want with that much wealth at that level. Yeah, um,
1: not even reasonable.
0: So just keeping that in mind and understanding that your players are gonna use that gold to, to do things to make their character more effective. Um, and that's fine, but you need to make sure that it's within the bounds of what you're trying to, to present to them as a, as a campaign.
1: Yeah, no, for sure.
0: Um, but you, you mentioned the, the sock and yep. that, that my go kind of uh, fits nicely into the next thing here is, <laughs> is, is when, you're, when you're giving out treasure, you need to vary the treasure. Yeah. It's not always going to be gold. It's not always going to be so- weapons. It's not always going to be socks. <laughs> um, and it, it, it can be a, a variety of different things. Yeah. Uh, you said that you use socks. Is there anything else that you've done that has been like a, <laughs> let's say, relatively worthless item? <laughs> That uh that
1: uh Yeah, I mean used? sometimes it'll be like a rusty helmet. Um, you know, or um you know, an old piece of parchment paper, but it's completely unreadable. Old scrolls or books, you know, things like that. Um some hardened clay, you know, maybe you thought it was like a little cluster of, of gems or whatever, but you break it open and it's nothing there. Um Just small small little things like that. I like I said, you know, the the sock is really my go-to. You know, I just, I mean, who who wouldn't enjoy a good laugh from a good sock, I'm just saying.
0: Well, and sometimes you can make um, those, we'll say low value items that have personal value to the characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so someone gives someone an honorary title that mm-hmm. doesn't give them anything extra, but they can now be called.
1: Feel better about yourself.
0: Lord, Lord Featherbottom or whatever.
1: <laughs> Featherbottom.
0: <laughs> um, so I mean, when you when you give out treasure, uh, especially if you're doing it as a reward for a quest, and yeah. you get to the end of the quest, and you're like, oh, we've had all these encounters and they got all this gold. I really need to dial it back. Yeah. Um, you can you can do things like, oh, we're gonna make you a, an honorary lord, or, yeah. or something like that.
1: Well, that's that's you know a really good way too in like maybe planting those nuggets further into your campaign, like as you go along, because things like honorary titles and things it may not be tangible. But it may give you other advantages, like accessibility. You have this title, um, and maybe this title gains them access to some certain group or location or information that they can get from someone because they have this awarded title, um, and and you know they know the special handshake, and they know if they go in the forest at this time and turn left and you know go straight down and at the fir tree, they'll find the secret message, and they have this title, then they get some sort of information. So. You know it's it's something that you can build upon and it may not mean anything in the moment but it's definitely something that can come with continued benefits further down the campaign
0: and and that title can be used by you the dm to make more story arcs Yeah, exactly
1: exactly and so that's important as a dm to realize that not all treasure is tangible
0: uh and one other thing to talk about when you talk about treasure is a, a lot of parties use Group funds. Yes. so they yes, do. When you give them this pile of gold, mm-hmm. they're going to take I don't know,
1: ten percent, twenty
0: percent, mm-hmm. and put it into the party fund to do things like buying healing potions yes. or or paying for ship passing, ship ship crossing to get yeah. from one point to another. Uh, so that's another thing to keep in mind is uh, even though it may not be the player's wealth, mm-hmm. uh, depending upon how the party operates they could potentially pull that wealth in to make their next big purchase if yeah. they convince the party that it's for the good.
1: Yeah, and, I, and every time I run a new campaign, that's the first thing that I try to encourage my players to do is just to discuss, do they or do they not want a group fund? If so, how much, what percentage of their awarded treasure will go towards that fund and who will keep track of it?
0: Yeah, it, and you really have to have this um, before the first treasure is awarded. <laughs> yes. Because uh, it, it can cause some uh, hurt feelings, we'll yeah. say.
1: <laughs> People can get butt hurt.
0: Um, so I think that's a good discussion on on the treasure. Uh, the next thing we're gonna talk about kind of applies to both monsters and treasure. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's thinking about where you're at uh, when you're when you're placing these things, yeah. So
1: geography is important. As
0: you heard in our opener, we were in the cellar, so you wouldn't necessarily expect to see a, a dragon and an owlbear and all this other stuff there. Nope. Uh, but that also applies to more broader the term geography. Mm-hmm. So if you're in mountains or caves, uh, in the desert, uh, you probably aren't going to see an ice golem or something or back. ice ice formed in the desert. Um, um, just like you're not gonna, not gonna see probably horse-type, uh, mon- creatures like centaurs or stuff in caves. Yeah. Um, so that's really something that to to think about, and and you need to think about thematically appropriate monsters. Yes. So I, I know in your uh, in your game that you're running, you you recently had some characters in kind of a burned-out village, mm-hmm. and you had some monsters that were appropriate for that. You want to
1: yeah we had so we did one recently that they came across uh, an old abandoned village and the initial encounters were pretty much all either undead or skeletons because the history of that particular village was that it had been just annihilated by um lava like a volcano and everyone everything was destroyed um and so we had lava like these lava zombies and we had those in the village but then we also found out that over in the tower um that there was a dragon that had taken up residence in the tower there, um, and just creating a whole bunch of nuisance and havoc for um, an individual a druid that would go there and use the tower as his lookout to kind of make sure things were staying as they should be in, in the forest surrounding the village. And so you wouldn't normally think that those two things would be in the same vicinity, um, but in this particular instance it kind of worked out that you know what remained of that village was taken over or run over by those particular uh, monsters but then you also had the additional challenge um, of a dragon that had just happened to take upon himself that he was going to make a nest there and that was his thing
0: yeah and i think the key to that is as long as as long as the story fits to why those things are there in the same locale you can make it work Mm -hmm. um but but you you do need to have a reason or or you'll start to get some sideways glances from your players yeah exactly (laughs) well
1: we, we even had giant spiders in that as well because the spiders had lived in the tower first and then when the dragon decided to take residence, um, he went ahead and kind of eradicated the spiders first and then made his nest, so.
0: So much like uh, having monsters appropriate to locale, sometimes there can be a a location um, specific thing for treasures as well. So for instance, as we were talking before, if you uh, liberate a bunch of slaves from a slave pit of some some guy, you're probably not going to find really valuable jewelry or, <laughs> or piles of gold there. Probably not. Um, again, unless the story uh, kind of Valorated. had a reason for it, mm-hmm. uh, you'd be stretching pretty hard there. But <laughs> but it's possible. In
1: the next room over, you have all which treasure.
0: Um, but you can also have uh, have you can also go so far as to have it based upon we're in a forest maybe we have some more nature related yeah. things that we find or yeah, you're in the desert you find some sort of thing that helps you find water uh, something like that.
1: Yeah or uh, you know we did one where we had them stumble across a, a wizard's workshop and so within that workshop there were a couple of magical scrolls that allowed them certain spell casting abilities. Um, you know you wouldn't find normally something like a magical scroll um, you know in a blacksmith's workshop. Right. You know, it was it was a wizard's workshop. So the the rewards the things that they come aco- uh, come across are going to be relative to that location.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I think that's that's a good place to wrap up our discussion. I think so. Um, so thanks, everybody, for listening in. And as always, if you've got some suggestions for future shows, some questions that you'd like to ask about dungeon mastering, uh, please go to our website, uh, becomingdm.com, or follow us on Twitter, at becomingdm, DM, or go to our Facebook page, uh, facebook.com becomingdm and, <laughs> and feel free to ask us. Uh, but until then, uh, next time, Stay Stay nerdy, nerdy, friends. friends. Hey, everyone, and thanks for joining us this week. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcast platform. It really does help. Becoming DM is produced by John Welsh and Felicia Martinez. The show is edited by John Welsh. If you've got an idea for a future episode, let us know. You can reach us at becomingdm.com on Facebook at facebook.com slash becoming DM. And on Twitter, we're at becoming DM. We'll see you in two weeks.